Nicole, here we are, still in the quarantine. It's been 84 years. <laughs> I hate that movie so much. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Mom and Dad? Which mom? Which dad? The movie. Oh, that one. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Nicolas Cage That's and uh, Selma Blair. It's just chaotic energy, the movie. Yeah, we watched it on a whim, guys. We didn't even plan on covering it on this podcast, but we decided we oughta. So, as usual, I'm Nicole Lee Hood. I'm um, Joe Yeah, and we are the Horror Babes. Correct. And today we're going to do a little bit of movie analysis of the movie Mom and Dad. The film, really. The film. The film, yeah. We got to get real... It's artsy as shit. Yeah. So, so just like, just like all of our other movie analysis um, episodes, we're going to take you through plot and then we're going to talk a little bit about the technical aspect, you know, the cinematography, all that good stuff, uh, the behind the scenes. And then we're also just going to bring up a couple points about uh, that came up when we were watching the movie. So Tover is going to take us away with some name dropping of who the (laughs) hell worked on this movie. And then we're going to go straight into plot. All right, yeah. So Mom and Dad 2017 release at the Toronto International Film Festival. Wide release in the United States in January of 2018 and a couple months later in the UK. Nice tight runtime. We got 83 minutes here. Which I love. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Keeping the goal still for longer than an hour 20 minutes is uh, difficult. I almost started doing jumping jacks. So this is from one half of the team that brought you crank and Hmm. the second crank movie (laughs) and the second ghost rider movie and gamer which is just what's that book that we both read and had the movie that sucked ready player one oh right gamer is basically ready player one meets sword art online which is an anime that's okay and awful depending on which episode you're watching Mm -hmm. the duo of course was neville dean and taylor now with mom and dad this is just brian taylor fully written by fully directed by brian taylor story screenplay direction all that Hmm. now our stars two favorites that we've never mentioned really on the podcast I don't think we've done a movie with either of them in it. Yeah, yet. they just haven't come up. And and I love this pair. I love like, them together. They were solid, yeah. I love uh, them together. The ever chaotic, ever insane, it either works or it doesn't, Nicolas Cage <laughs> and Selma Blair. Yeah. The always competent, always amazing. God, she's gorgeous all around. We love. Yeah. We love. Fantastic. And Nicolas Cage is chaotic all around. We yeah. love. Most of the time. Um, <laughs> but they're the eponymous mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got Ann Winters, who was in 13 Reasons Why and some other indie stuff. Hmm. Oh, she was As in 13 older... Reasons Why? Yeah. I did never watch it. I had morbid curiosity, so I watched the first season. <laughs> but she plays Carly, the daughter of the Ryan family. Mm-hmm. And we've got Zachary Arthur, the kid who plays Josh, the younger brother. Lance Henriksen shows up. We've got a few other actors in here, but that's our main four. That's who we're really focused on the whole time. Yeah. And the boyfriend, Damon. It's yeah. A pretty, I mean, there's a, it's a wide cast. There's a lot of people in here, but... Uh, well, it, it happens Robert T. in Cumming, a school, Cumming yeah. And Damon, Damon, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, generally, there's just... Uh, it's, a, it's a smaller cast, and we're really focused on four characters the whole time, and kind of a fifth. Yeah. We'll talk about that a bit. Just to go, And we also had some funny cameos in there. You know, uh, Grant Morrison shows up, the comic book writer. 
and not really a doctor, Oz shows up. Oh yeah, he does because he comes yeah. on the TV. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I did. And I did like Lance it. Henriksen as the uh, the grandpa because he was in the Alien franchise. He was Bishop in uh, Aliens mm-hmm. and a bunch of other. He's like been in everything. Uh, he's one of those great character actors that we love. It was shot in Louisville, Kentucky. In the burbs. Not it much. does kind of have that, like, pristine suburb feel. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously not as um, insane as, like, Edward Scissorhands or Stepford Wives, but it definitely has this very polished feel to yeah, it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's on, the, it's in that vein, for mm-hmm. sure. I think that, that definitely seems like it's on purpose, but. Yeah. Finally, yeah, we've got music from Mr. Bill, who I could not find a whole lot about, but I'll, like, His name, is, his, like, official name is Mr. That's Bill. He goes, yeah. Like, Mr. Bill, that old, like, <laughs> I just have to show it to you. Like, it's, yeah. it's insane. So, yeah, Mr. Bill, like, from SNL, the oh. little claymation dude who would always get his shit wrecked. That's who I'm talking about. And we don't know who's behind Mr. Bill? But, like, the, the musician, Mr. Bill, who did the music for this film is just a... Uh, but we he, don't know who he is? I, I don't know his real name. Um, yes, just, we love to- an alias. We better work. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And then cinematography from an absolute fucking legend, Daniel Pearl. Okay, so what else has Daniel Pearl done? <laughs> Everything. Uh, would you like to know the movie he started his career on? Yeah, I Texas really Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Which which one? The original. And then he did the remake. So no. he was like friends with Toby Hooper, and Toby Hooper put a camera in his hands and said, you're a cinematographer now. <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> he went to film school, but like... That's incredible. Yeah, it's okay. Like, just was like, you're shooting this movie, and it was. He was like, oh, oh, okay. So he started his life shooting one of my favorite shot movies. That's incredible. What other movies has he done? He's done like some four hundred. He's he's got two hundred and eighty-seven credits on IMDb alone. Wow, that's not okay. all of his credits. Just and that's just a cinematographer or like DP. Mm-hmm. He's also worked camera for a thousand other things. But one of my favorite things that he has shot is all of Mariah Carey's music videos. <gasps> and. No. Now, I've told you that I would do a lot of things for love. Uh-huh. And I'll do one more. He shot I would do anything for love. No, he did not. Yeah, he did. This guy's my hero. Right? He shot for Wham. He shot for the, uh, he shot Every Breath You Take, that music video. <gasps> he is like nth level degree cinematographer he has done so much fucking work and i love all of it if you're drinking while watching this you can take take a drink every time i gasp because <laughs> i just <laughs> i think i just did that like five times the but this nuts. guy <laughs> but this guy is incredible oh my god i had no yeah, idea he has had you he had you had me at mariah carey's videos are you <laughs> fucking kidding me yeah, he, uh, I was obsessed with all of those videos. Yeah, he's just some dude from the Bronx who was friends with Toby Hooper. Hell yeah! Because <laughs> they were like, um, he went to UT Austin and everything. We, we'll get into him later, but I just wanted to list like up top the cinematographer fucking works. It's so great. Good for him. Hell yeah! I guess now we'll just uh, do the plot. The plot's pretty straightforward, nice and easy. I say that every fucking episode, and then we talk for an hour about the plot. Yeah, so maybe we should stop saying <clears> that. <laughs> I won't. One day it will be true. One yeah. day I will get a plot done in twenty minutes, and I won't have to talk about what happens in a movie, and instead can talk about why a movie is cool. Yeah. All right. Start us off. Okay. Where are on. we? What are we doing? <laughs> we are in the suburbs. That's it. End of the movie. The Just suburbs kidding. are pretty scary, so... That's facts. No, uh, the first shot of the film is like the thesis statement of the whole thing. So mm-hmm. we've got a mom in a car. 
she's like driving with her kid. She puts on some music. We hear a little static over the radio. So she parks her car on the railroad tracks, gets out, and that's it. Mm-hmm. We're kicked off. So we meet the Ryans in the suburbs. That is going to be Brent. That's Nick Cage. Carly, the daughter. Kendall, Selma Blair. And Josh, the kid, who's mm-hmm. just like wild but having fun. They are disagreeing over Damon. That is Carly's new boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, he, I don't like him. And it's clearly like, oh, and we've got the housekeeper and her daughter. Yes. So we're seeing all kinds of parents and pairings, right? Mm-hmm. Parent-child pairings. Yeah. There is a lot of racism in this first scene. Implied and everything. Yeah. And that also, again, like I think this movie just, like, but I'm just already delaying myself on the plot. It sets the tone from the jump, is all I want to say. It does, it does, it, it does. It gives you the violence and the what's going to happen as the plot, and then it gives you the, like, absurd nature of it mm-hmm. in the first two scenes. Yeah. Very well done. Nicely done. I appreciate that. Yeah. So they're ha- they're fighting over breakfast. Carly doesn't want to cancel plans with her boyfriend. Nick Cage's grandparents, or Nick Cage's parents are coming by later for dinner. Mm-hmm. Go to school. We start hearing the static again on all the TVs and the radios. We see the housekeeper murder her daughter in front of Josh. And there's a mob outside of Carly's school. Yeah. Who's like a mob of parents trying to get in. And no one's sure what's going on. The teachers are just trying to get the parents onto, or the kids onto buses and away from their parents. Mm-hmm. And the parents just like storm over the, like one of the kids climbs over the fence and the mom just stabs him to death with keys. Yeah. And so the parents just like clamber in and like there's this big giant chase scene. Carly and her best friend Riley escape after buying drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they go to Riley's place so that, because her mom's supposed to be out exercising with Carly's mom. Yeah. They're hanging out. Carly or Riley starts trying to make a drink. <laughs> yeah, she's like, and "Do you want a drink?" And I was like, "I was like, what is what?" And then there's like the leftover margarita in the blender or something. Right. Riley goes upstairs to find her mom, and her mom chokes her to death. Carly sees and runs away. Mm-hmm. We also have Damon, who has been taking his PSATs and goes home to his dad, who we find out is a drunk, mm-hmm. and his dad tries to kill him with a broken liquor bottle. And because he's stumbling drunk, yeah, he trips and falls and stabs himself in the neck and dies. Brutal, guys. It's one of my favorite deaths in this movie. We were we were watching this with some friends via Zoom because quarantine, and everyone straight gasped. straight gasped and <laughs> held their hands to their their mouths. Yeah, my hands were fully over my mouth for a good portion of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to Shannon and Joseph if you've listened yeah, to they've friends, both been past guests of the show. Yeah, past guests of the show. They're incredible. And we watched this with them just on a whim. Right. And it was great. <laughs> All right, what happens next? <laughs> so, Carly then freaks out having seen Riley be de- killed by her mom. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carly starts rushing to get to her own house and r- finds Damon. Um, Mm -hmm. Damon is like okay well it's only parents trying to kill their kids like I I saw multiple other adults no one tried to harm me yes it was just parents to child situation smart kid right he's he's, that's what we get we get like everybody gets a nice little thesis statement yeah so Damon and Carly go to the Ryan's house Carly's house to try and find Josh and get him away from their parents Mm mm-hmm her dad's supposed to be at work. Her mom's supposed to be out exercising. She's like, perfect. We'll just get in, get out. Mm-hmm. The housekeeper's there just scrubbing the floor. Yeah. Because her daughter's blood is everywhere. 
that was pretty horrifying. I mean, we knew that that's what happened. Like right. it, it, it's shown from the beginning that she does have to bring her child to work at least yeah. maybe after preschool or whatever. Mm-hmm. Preschool ends at like noon, <laughs> so it's like uh, she she definitely has to bring her there. So you already know that it's going to happen, but you're just waiting for the reveal. And then yeah, she's cleaning up her own daughter's blood. Yeah. And then she yells for her to leave. Carly yells for her. She's like, you have right. to leave my fucking house right now. Right. Meanwhile, Kendall, that's uh, Selma Blair, has gone to the hospital because her sister is supposed to be giving birth anytime. Mm-hmm. We get the birth. We have the, like, schlubby husband or partner or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not his kid and all of that. Yeah. He He's a mess. She... Kendall does give birth. She's so excited. She holds the baby. We hear the static. And she suddenly starts strangling this baby. And then she gets oh. the scalpel away from the doctors and nurses and tries to stab the baby. So it's Kendall ma- finally great. manages to get her brand new uh, niece or nephew out of the hands of her sister mm-hmm. and hides until a, ner- a nurse and like a security officer can come secure the baby. Yeah. Huh. So we're seeing finally now, this is where we're like seeing like the reports of mass hysteria mm-hmm. and Kendall and Brent both decide to head home. Yeah. Uh, Brent makes it first, and he sees Carly there with Damon and just freaks out, beats the shit out of Damon. Yeah. It's a really brutal scene. And it is revealed that it's, like, this static that sets it off. Like, we see it in the hospital on the television. There's, like, this – the TV goes out, and there's, like, like static. (laughs) And then it happens on the radio – like all, and, and that just seems to be for whatever reason what sets it off. Yeah. But yeah, Nick Cage yeah. and yeah. Nick Cage uh, beats the shit out of <laughs> yeah. uh, Carly's boyfriend Damon, and we looks like he's dead because his head's like bleeding all over the kitchen floor, mm-hmm. and starts attacking Carly, but he falls over the truck that her little brother had left out. Yeah. And he also is knocked out. Carly and Josh hide in the basement where. We get that flashback of Nick Cage and Selma Blair having that huge fight where he's, like, spent an entire day just building this pool table. <laughs> yeah, we kind of, we, we kind of visit. There's a lot of cutaways. Yeah, we kind of visit a lot of moments between Selma Blair and Nick Cage where, like, clearly there's, like, a midlife crisis going on. Right. And it's putting strain on their marriage, so we just kind of get little interstitials of just like what's going on right that the kids don't really know about Mm -hmm. so nick cage can't figure out he's like trying to get into the basement but he can't Mm -hmm. so (laughs) someone player grabs the sawzall she's like it saws all it's in the name that was one of my favorite (laughs) moments i love that corny and so perfect it is as they're finally getting through the door josh shoots his mom yeah with the uh suddenly a handgun situation so he shoots her. She's livid. They like dress her wound and or they uh, they decide that they're gonna gas their kids instead. So they pull the oven out, run a hose, duct tape up all the windows and the floors and everything like that. And Shit is just, crazy. They decide to gas them so that they can knock them out and then kill them. God. Knock out the gas and then kill them with their own hands. Uh, Carly and Josh are trying to find their way out of the basement and Carly sets a trap with the matches at the mm-hmm. bottom of the door smart girl like She's when clever. she did that i was like shit super resourceful i'm gonna remember uh, that if i'm ever in a yeah. similar situation knock on wood right hello <laughs> she and josh get out through the the vents mm-hmm. <laughs> nick, nick cage opens the door finally and just gets blown to shit yeah both parents get knocked out 
Damon wakes up. He helps Carly and Josh get out, but Kendall stabs him in the cheek with the uh, after she gets locked in the. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, she get Carly and Damon lock Selma Blair Kendall in the uh, closet, and she's like, they're not holding her in there well enough, and there's something happens, and he gets stabbed in the cheek with a fucking coat hanger. Mm-hmm. Oof. That was yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Another then, one, like that yeah. was the one right after Damon's dad falls on the bottle. That was the second one that we all just were like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> so rough. Yeah. It's all gets interrupted, this whole big chase scene and everything, because Damon's knocked out again. Yeah. He just keeps getting knocked out. Poor guy. And all this gets interrupted because Nick Cage's parents show up. And they, they try Which to is kill him. such an incredible <laughs> twist because you're not thinking, you don't remember that that's their plans, or at least yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I completely forgot. I completely forgot. And then when they show up, then your your mind races and goes back, and you're like, oh fuck, they're yeah. about to fucking kill him. So the second he opens the door, his mom just pepper sprays him, and his dad stabs him. <laughs> and they get in this big fight, and they're trying to kill each other. And you've got the three generations chasing each other because you've got Brent's dad chasing Brent and Brent chasing Josh. Mm -hmm. Josh tries to get in the Firebird or Trans Am. Yeah. The muscle car. The car he's in love with. Josh gets into his dad's like famous muscle car. Yeah. And hides in there and he thinks like, oh, my dad loves this car so much he won't destroy it. But of course he does. Yeah. They're trying to drive and Josh escapes. Brent's dad's on the hood of the car and he just like floors it forward and whips him off and it like smashes his head into a mailbox yeah. or something like that and like runs him over we also get a few like, flashbacks of like nick cage being like a, a good dad and like having discussions with right because there's a a weird dad not the oh, best well dad, no he's not the like, best dad but like he's not you know it, they're they're trying to humanize all of the characters here yeah. in a very yeah. short amount of time mm-hmm. um and because there was that scene where did he find a bird Nick Cage's son. Yes, and yeah, he, he put it. He put it in in Nick Cage's beloved car, mm. and it stinks. Well, it dies. It yeah. dies and stinks, right? Yeah. So he gets really angry at him, but then we get like this flashback of like after the storm, you know how he you know got angry, and he's and he's just saying like, look, I did something similar, and it's just trying to like relate and be like, it's okay, mistakes happen, and then and then of course there's the joke of like, but if you ever go, if I ever find you in that car again, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. But it's like it's supposed to be like a. There are a lot of those. Like there's also the one. Where where Riley's mom and, and Carly's mom are at, um, I guess after the workout they're having yeah, smoothies the or whatever green juice, or green juice. Yeah. and she says, you know what? She took off her shirt the other day and she's like, I just want to kill her. Yeah, like talking about her teenager hat, and she's like, I just want to tell her that like you know those boobs aren't going to be perky forever, and like <laughs> so there are all these like kind of lighthearted jokes about like oh I just want to kill my kids. Yeah. So finally, Brent knocks himself out when he kills his parents mm-hmm. by crashing his car. Kendall is about to kill Carly, but Damon saves her with the shovel. Yes. And so the final bit of the film is the two parents bound to a post in the basement. And they're trying to, like, weasel their way out of this, right? And act mm-hmm. like, we're fine. I'm sorry. We just sort of lost it for a second. It's all good. We're all back now. We're It's it's mommy. It's daddy. Mm-hmm. And Kendall's just like, yeah. I just She's, like, crying. And she's like, I love you all so much. You're my babies. My babies. And then we see her kind of snap as Carly doesn't let them free. Yeah. yeah. And Brent just finishes the line, uh, but sometimes we just want to... And that's the end of the movie. 
That was actually straightforward. That took Told like you. so. That was such a quick. I can do this. Plot synopsis. Yeah. Good job, bravo. Because I didn't do all the cutbacks, but they're not that important. I mean, no. we'll talk about them, but they're like it doesn't matter to the plot. Plot. No, because they're cutbacks. It's color. Yeah. So I really liked this movie. I fucking had a I th- blast. I thought it was completely. I thought it was a very effective horror dark comedy mm-hmm. sort of situation. I do think it requires you to. It definitely requires you to suspend your disbelief because this thing just happens randomly. There's no background. There's no, like, for people in movies who like to, you know, have background of why this is happening and that just, you know, maybe helps them along. You're not going to get any of that from this movie. Right. The the shit just hits the fan and it keeps hitting the fan and that's about it. Mm -hmm. So you just kind of, you kind of just have to buckle in and go along for the ride with this film. And is that such a bad thing to do? No, I think it's very, I think it's a very different film because it, I don't know if I don't, I don't think I personally needed the background of what's going on with these parents. If it's, you know, like, I think that might have taken away from some of the whimsy of it, for lack of a better term. Like, it's funny, like, there's actually an article I found when we were researching this that says why we shouldn't overthink mom and dad according to Selma Blair. So apparently when she got the script, she called Brian Taylor and was like, the fu- let me see, I'll pull the actual quote. So she said, I mean, this is like we had to go the B-movie route and leave it that way and just let it stand on its own as, quote, this is happening and it's scary as hell. I said the same thing. My first call was with the director was, I don't get it. Is it like technology doing this? Yeah. She said, I really wanted to play know how to play this person that had turned into this sort of weird zombie, uh, good mom to good murderer. He's like, it doesn't matter. And she's like, oh. It doesn't. This is a movie. That's the whole point. We're not trying yeah. to do a documentary. It's one of those horrors where uh, horrors out there in the world and who knows what's happening. It's not. It could be a virus. It could be a neurotoxin. It could just be that everyone breaks down at the same time. I have no idea. But yeah, I let go of that. And I think that's the yeah. right approach to this movie. You just have to accept it. You just have to, like, if you're going to choose to watch this film, you, you just have to accept the circumstances of the world that they're throwing you in yeah. and don't ask questions. Just go along for the ride and you'll have, you'll honestly have a better time watching it is right. my advice because I mean, maybe like don't ask questions is a bad thing to say about a movie, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's not, it's, it's fully in that sort of B movie camp vibe. Totally. But it's really well done. It's not made to be bad. It's made to be stupid. It's yeah, like, it's just a dumb plot. Again, you just have to embrace it. You just yeah. have to buckle in and say, you know, I'm here for the short amount of time that this yeah. <laughs> film is going to occur. Um, I've got an hour and twenty minutes to burn. I'm in quarantine, and it's very oh my gosh, it's it's very entertaining. I, I highly recommend watching yeah. this um, movie. My only qualm with this movie is a little bit of the treatment of the POC. Yeah. In the cast, because it it reads as because we've got Damon's father is just a drunk, right? And that's all we—he's an abusive drunk, and that's yeah. all we really know about him. And then their housekeeper is like is very comes off as very fresh off the boat, yeah. And I just think that it's another one of those um, things where you're kind of making fun. You're using them in the world to like ma- poke fun at things, and like, of course the, of course the um, Asian woman is your housekeeper, and like it, it yeah. just kind that kind of felt icky to me. But that was really the he only. He makes the crack. He makes the like. Oh, is that offensive? She goes. I don't know if it's offensive. I'm not Vietnamese. 
Yeah, and it's it, there is that whole whole thing. Um, and then with the drunk father, we know nothing else about him. Yeah, and I mean it's not necessary to know anything else about him. And I will no, say that, I but just we know more about Riley's mom than we do him. We know more. Yeah, we, hell, we know more about the sister who's in the movie for one scene than we know about him. Yeah, yeah, they have equal amounts of screen time. Yeah, I think it's just that that's where you know it's it's good color for the story it's not executed super well yeah it's it's just a little it's it, in a movie that has so many white people in it and so few people of color to have that be the yeah like, that's it and it's like oh, come on like you can do a little bit more I yeah if the, i were I understand the conceit of having like if you're so if you want to get into the high concept parts of it right which it is actually kind of high concept, this this movie. Yeah. Because you do have to suspend your disbelief so much. Yeah. It's so a little high concept. I think one of the things that we can talk about is the... So it's it, it definitely feels like a, a mid... It's a allegory for midlife crisis, basically. Yeah. Because we're, we're watching both Selma Blair and Nick Cage go through that. Yes. Him in the very traditionally stupid masculine ways of going through midlife crisis and dealing with that. It's very on the nose, And her yes. very much in that, like, white suburban thing. white Like, white suburban woman. Yeah, because she tries to um, go back, basically go back to her job that she had right. before... Her kids. Her yeah. kids. And they say, well, maybe you can take some classes. And it's a really heartbreaking moment for her. Mm-hmm. And she spends her days drinking green juice, going to exercise mm-hmm. classes, hanging out with her friend. It is a very suburban mom existence. It's got a white wine and pills vibe to it. Yes, for sure. And just to go back to the casting for a second, I think if I were to reimagine the casting, I would, and to make it more diverse and not subtly offensive, right. um, I you could have cast Riley and her mother Mm-hmm. A different race, yeah, and then maybe not cast the housekeeper and her daughter as like a like no English speaking. Like that's why I say like fresh off the boat. It's just kind of I don't know. You could have cast that as a as a Caucasian person easily. Yeah, and it's not that I want to take away. It's none of us. Nobody's saying take away those roles, but it's also just like. Come on. Like, there's so many ways you can play this that's not that. It just, again, felt a little token. Yeah. And it, I mean, and, there's, there's all and kinds I don't of love that. that. Yeah. And I don't love that uh, taste in my mouth. Yeah. And it's, it, I know that there's been going to be backlash against any sort of statement we make like that because it'll be like, oh, well, it's camp and camp is like that. It's like, no, that's not, that's not fair. We don't have yeah. to always do the things like that. But we can also talk about why the movie's great. Yeah, I do want to keep this positive. Yeah. Uh, but I just wanted to get out of the way that, like, I'm not praising every single second of this movie. No. It has flaws. It has flaws. But overall, it was extremely enjoyable. And I thought, again, that it just completely worked as a dark comedy yeah, horror it's film. It's, it, I was trying to think of who it reminded me of when I was watching this. And it turns out it doesn't totally remind me of John Waters, but John Waters loved this movie. Right. I got you. It was funny. Yeah. He said it was a, he said it was one of the best of 2018 and put it as number four on his best of 2018 list. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So fuck you, everybody who hated this movie. Speaking of Nicole, hmm? you looked up a bunch of reviews that look like people who hated this movie. Oh, I kind of felt like the people who hated this movie didn't, <sighs> I'm going to sound like such a snob. So please stick with me here. I felt like they didn't get it. I felt like they were, I felt like they were wanting answers that were never going to be answered. And, and Selma Blair in that interview Mm -hmm. answered everything 
by answering nothing. You do, yeah. it, Because bottom line, it doesn't matter. And that's just going to be the answer in some art form sometimes. And you have to accept that. If that is the vision of the writer, director, etc., then you just have to accept it. I guess you don't have to like it, but I'm, I'm just saying, I don't think that the people who, at least the reviews that I read, yeah. I don't think that they quote-unquote got it <laughs> no I, I i saw the same one you know some of the ones i looked at too i was just like you guys don't get that this is just supposed to be stupid or they they'll say like oh i get that it's supposed to be stupid but it's too stupid i'm like what's what what does that mean what is like i could never i didn't find any reviews that i was looking at that were like sufficiently they didn't have like a good critique if they're like oh well it doesn't make sense or they'd say like oh well it's just zany but it doesn't do anything like it's untethered and like it's supposed to be untethered you're you're saying the thing that it's it's achieving what you're saying it does and i think it's really effective the way that they had that first like where you're realizing that like shit's going down because you see an opening you see an opening scene of a of a film and you're like okay they're trying they're trying to tell us something mm-hmm. but we have no idea what that is and especially in this one it's not clear at all like what exactly is going on you hear the static you're like okay what what but when that scene outside of the school happens where all of a sudden all of the parents are and it's kind of a slow burn because you've got the PSATs happening and you see the parents looking in very angrily yeah. um, into the classroom waiting for their children to get out. And it's just, it sends this like kind of sense of dread where you're just like, why do they look like that? What's yeah. about to happen? And then shit hits the fan outside of the school. And all of a sudden, it's kind of interesting because all of a sudden, like, I felt like Riley and uh, Carly knew exactly what to do. Yeah. Which was really interesting yeah. to me how mm-hmm. they, um, a lot of the kids were like, uh, what's going on? And there was obviously mass hysteria, but it just felt like Riley and Carly were like, nope, we're just getting the fuck out of here. Let's go get high. Yeah, exactly. They're like, this is some bullshit. We're going. But I think that that scene is very effective and it keeps you engaged for the rest of the film. Definitely. Because I, and I think the fact that maybe you are wanting answers through the whole film is also what keeps you engaged. And the fact that you never get them is okay. Because right. it ends and you're you're just like, like black screen and you can see your reflection with your mouth hanging open sort of right. thing. Like, yeah. that's the end? <laughs> and I think that's great. I think open-ended art forms are awesome. Yeah, I think what this, I mean, we were talking about this while we watched the movie. What I loved about this is that it let itself be what it was. It wasn't trying to be anything else. Like, I've seen it compared to, like, The Crazies or to uh, any of Romero's Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Or, like, um, of the Dead yeah. series. But, and I get that. And that, that's totally there. Because I think this movie does have, like, we've talked about horror homework before, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, what it is to just have done your research and, like, watched other movies and used those influences in your life. And I think this definitely used a lot of great... It nicely repurposed and repackaged zombie films. Yeah. Because that's that's kind of what this is. And a little bit, like, Purge. It's a little bit Purge. It's a little bit zombie. It's a little bit this. It's a little bit that. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of that... I I say that the cinematographer is a fucking legend. I do. He is. Uh, I didn't notice a lot of amazing cinematography in this. That's not something that we're going to really delve into that much. Yeah. This guy's at the work is incredible. This movie is fine. Like it's not the prettiest thing I've ever seen. 
a lot of the shots don't totally make sense to me and that's okay that might have been on purpose i remember i was talking out i was saying out loud during the movie that we we're like oh yeah why is he using all of these really weird angles like why is he shooting it from the bottom like that why is it tilted it's a little on the nose but it's fine that sort of stuff right yeah it but, felt intentional to me but especially now knowing how um much experience this guy has yeah I feel like it was a director's call, and I think it was all intentional. Yeah, I mean, you don't put a camera down just because you feel like it. It's more that, like, I will actually, here's one thing I will shout out. Some of the prettiest parts of the movies were the cutbacks. The cutbacks were all shot in a very different way. They did a complete different uh, filter and shading, different lighting, everything. To Absolutely, them. so that we know, you know, it, it signals that it's just, this it's, isn't in real time anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's really well done, because they don't look like it at all. It, like the scene of uh, Nick Cage and the kid sitting on the mm-hmm. on the curb, yeah, and it's really bright and there's all these yellows coming in. That it's was, beautiful, yeah, yeah. It was really well done. It's got this sort of like heavenish feel to it. Speaking of Nick Cage, can we talk about the hokey pokey scene? Holy shit! <laughs> so, oh, that's what I was getting to. Yeah, is it like fucking uh... Nick Cage? Is this is a perfect vessel for him because we were talking about like how much of this was improv, how much of this was written? Because this is a very written movie. He's very fun to watch. He can be. <laughs> in this is what I'm saying. Yeah, I He's loved very... him in this. He was a perfect cast, especially with Selma Blair being such the, like, quiet, Antithesis. creepy killer. Like, I yeah. would watch her in a straight up and down horror movie, no comedy. I would love to see her as like a possessed killer. Or and then like he's just like over here with a bat singing hokey pokey. Taking a fucking sledgehammer to his brand new pool table that won't level. But yeah, he... It, it's it's one of the more iconic scenes in the film yeah, for sure. He's just creepily singing hokey pokey. It's worth watching just for that scene because it's the cutback where he's built the pool table. He can't get it level, and Selma Blair is like, "What the fuck, dude? Be more of a goddamn cliche." Well, and I lo- yeah. Well, and I love I love him so much in this film because there is sort of like he's he is just sort of unhinged, right? Yeah, like any yeah. second, it just flips. And you're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Yeah, you never know where he's coming you from. You never know where he's coming from or where he's going. Like, it, it's kind of crazy. And it's he was perfectly cast for this. Because along with Damon's father, who is an abusive drunk, so when he gets whatever in his head, the static or whatever, right. to kill his son... You, of course, are led to believe, and Damon is led to believe in that moment that, like, Dad, don't do this again. Like, yes. yeah, like yeah, that yeah. this is in his personality, that he's done this before. He's he's threatened him, he's abused him, mm-hmm. and all of this. So you have this moment of, like, what is it? And then it's kind of it, it's kind of mirrored with uh, Nicolas Cage's performance, too, because with him being so unhinged at random times you're just like has he just finally snapped or is it part of this or you know yeah, there's exactly. a lot of questioning about that and that also goes back to the lighthearted jokes that are made where you're like is that a joke yeah is this premeditated or right. you know like <laughs> it, it poses a lot of questions but i again i think those questions are good and fine to be unanswered yeah it's funny i keep coming back to this question of like is this movie written or is this movie improv to some degree right like right obviously the beats are written but when you put nick cage in a film i have to assume that you're just prepared for a lot of random switching of volume and tone mm-hmm. signature and yeah yes, yeah that's what he does mm-hmm. it and it 
just like it, it works just as randomly as his volume shifts. Yeah. So I have to wonder, like, did they leave space for him? Because I couldn't find anything on that. It's like, how, what, what was it like on mm-hmm. set? Because I have to imagine it's a nightmare to work for, with Cage. <laughs> as amazing as, a, as right. his performances are, I'm just like, I don't know if I could do it. And I have a serious respect for any director who's able to get a good Cage performance. And if it was heavily improv, which it probably was, even if, it, even if the lines that made it to cut are the ones that were written, I have to imagine there were 50 other takes. Yeah, he seems... So God bless these editors. I don't know his... I don't I don't know his process at all, Nicolas Cage is, but I, I have to one? imagine <laughs> that he's, like, that he's the type who, like, doesn't learn his lines. No. And just gets to set and is, like... Which... There, there is a way of doing this where it's totally fine. I cannot, for the life of me, remember what actress does this. Like it's her like signature signature way of learning lines. She doesn't learn them beforehand. I wish I could remember who it is, but she gets to set. She has her scene partner say his line to her, mm-hmm. and then she asks what her line is, and she starts saying it to him, and they do it like ten times, just one line. And then she just goes from there on her emotion. That's wild. Yeah. That's kind of fucking obnoxious, but I guess there's a whole process. I have to imagine... She's clearly very famous to get away with that shit. Right. But I don't oh, I don't remember who it is. Sorry. <laughs> so I think Nick Cage's process is something along the lines of shows up to set, mm-hmm. doesn't get into costume. He's just wearing what he wears. <laughs> and he just goes, Hi, everybody, let's go! Now in this scene, oh my god! It's I, that's it. He just screams and then just comes in real close and talks real close right up on you. He's like, "Okay, now listen, Taylor. What we're gonna do here is I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna sort of run through this pool table scene that you've got going on, right? And then we're gonna give me a sledgehammer. And I'm gonna break it. It's gonna be great, and I'm definitely gonna scream the hokey pokey. Okay, great. And that's it." Totally, and I can. And I then could it's totally, just back to full volume. I bet. I bet on set too. He's because I've I've been I've been around enough actors. I know the different stereotypes and stuff of people. But he just reminds me of like that guy that you went to high school with, who was like you know very talented, but was just fucking weird. Like yeah. like just did some weird stuff while he wasn't on stage mm-hmm. like just oh, he started owned a like snake really no oh. I, I, well nick cage has owned everything i don't know he's a fucking coppola he was born rich true um but you know what i mean like when they're not on stage they're like not even like saying their lines to themselves or they're just doing something really weird i don't even know how to explain it like they're like licking light bulbs like let's say you're in a you're in an auditorium and this person would decide that they're going to go out into the audience and just sit on every single seat and he can't go back on stage until he's sat in every single seat. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like just I do. I know like exactly you're talking Weird about. stuff like that I feel yeah. like Nicolas Cage does yeah. on set. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a box of some rare nut or something that someone sold him and said is like, this is an extremely rare tree nuts and yeah like, this is perfect i feel like I love he it. i feel like he and paces he a lot it's fucking pistachios but he has to eat the whole bag before he starts his lines yeah or like he um oh it's not even pacing it's just like a full gait like his legs are swung out like oh that. god looks like a fucking derby winner when he's just running around the room 
God bless him. Oh, but I did want to talk a little bit about not just Nick Cage and the fact that how can Brian you Taylor not? Able, I know it's so much of this movie. I mean, I do. Obviously, we've shouted out Selma Blair being incredible in this. The kids were good in this too. Oh yeah, solid kid acting. Great uh, PSA for gun safety with kids as well. Oh yeah, the whole gun gun scene where he finds the the little child, the toddler finds the fucking gun in this in the safe, and Selma Blair is like, is like. Well, what did you put as the safety code or whatever? And he's like, his birthday. birthday. <laughs> and the look on Selma Blair's face, she's like, you fucking imbecile. God. I loved them together. I would totally watch another movie with this with this pairing. I would watch any genre of movie with this pairing. Yeah. It just worked. Yeah. It just, there, there was a chemistry. Definitely. Not, like you can see, they, they played it to where you could tell that they were into each other once and they fucking hate each other now. Oh yeah, because he acts like a man-child idiot. Yeah. And she is really upset that her kids don't need her anymore and is trying to f- find that purpose in life again. Yeah. Um, again, midlife, midlife crisis. They're both going through that and he and she is being somewhat strong about it and trying to take charge and going and trying yes. to get her job back. And he is building a pool table. <laughs> and then smashing it and then smashing it because he can't get it level <laughs> i felt that i, I mean that seems that. very frustrating but you know what i mean like yeah. they are just dealing with with a midlife crisis in two completely different ways and she's oh, frustrated fully. that he's being a man child yeah so where this really just works for me we've watched a lot of horror comedies we've talked about a number of horror comedies mm-hmm. we've done i mean hell bong joon ho that whole blessed month that we got to spend with him yes he's very good comedy. at throwing in the comedy yeah. yes and he's probably the most successful person i've seen doing horror comedy mm-hmm. i mean we grew up on a bunch right like the 80s were chock full of them yeah i can't tell you how many times i've seen gremlins yeah or Trolls 2, which I keep loving to bring up and is my one of my favorite stupid horror movies. Trolls 2? No. <laughs> this has nothing to do with Justin Timberlake and how much he cheats on his wife. Aw. But this was one of those that was really interesting because this was definitely, you know, it's a black comedy, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But I felt the horror, which is great because a lot of times, like, we love Tucker and Dale. Yeah. We've covered on the podcast. We have nothing but good things to say about Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. It's a fantastic fucking movie. It's more comedy than horror. Definitely. Definitely. And I would say, like, uh, I was talking with a friend of the podcast, Matt, uh, mm-hmm. the other day on the phone. And we were talking about Cabin in the Woods. He had never seen it before. He wanted me to explain. He would, like not explain it to him in terms of, like, what happens. Because he, he's like, no, I get the plot and everything. But, like, what the fuck is it? Is it a comedy? Is it a horror movie? He's like, it's both. It's mm-hmm. It's more successful. Actually, it's not as successful as it everybody said it was mm-hmm. in either. I enjoy the movie, but it's not like the be all end all. And I get maybe it's because I don't love Joss Whedon, but yeah, I'm trying to think of others. But like you know, generally speaking, it's it horror and comedy are the same. Like I tell people, like oh, I'm a comedy writer and I'm a horror writer, and they're yeah. like, well, what the fuck do those things have to do with each other? And it's like, well, they're the same thing. It's just where you, what kind of turn you put in and where it lands. Absolutely. It's all and just structural changes. Like, well, and a lot of it's situational, too. Exactly. Because there yeah. is definitely um, situational comedy and then there's situational horror. Yes. And I think that this one um, balances the two beautifully. That's what I wanted to get to. Is this is yeah. interwoven so well because it's yeah. just it's chaotic. Well, because it, you're already put in a... Um, you're pretty much immediately put in a situation that is horrifying. Yeah. Right? And and you're also um but then you've got these uh 
characters, it's, it's kind of like what happens when a midlife crisis goes wrong. Exactly. Um, which it often does. Yeah, it's does. just an nth degree <laughs> midlife crisis, yeah. Yeah. And I think what really sets the tone for this film is the first two thoughts that Brian Taylor had was the baby scene. The baby scene. That was the first thing he wrote. Whew. And Nick Cage. That's what he had. And I was like, oh, you did it then. That's how you make a successful horror comedy is you just have this bounded chaos. Yeah. Where you set the stakes really high Mm -hmm. and make them chaotic and manic and just sort of so left field that it's not an issue. Like, If this were another horror movie and they tried to do, like if someone tried to play the straight, right? Yeah. If this was just like there was no comedy to it, I would think it was a bad horror movie. Agreed. Yeah. The comedy helps it land because it increases the manic and the chaos and it makes you feel more stressed out while you're watching it. it Absolutely. Actually, the comedy actually serves the horror and the horror serves the comedy. I agree wholeheartedly with that. This is a full-on fucking Reese's peanut butter um, cup of a fucking movie and I love it. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly with that because when you... Um, the comedy forces you to do kind of like this nervous laughter of like, that was funny, but I'm like really fucking freaked out. And it's also the fact that it's so... Everyone's just say, saying everything so offhandedly and just like so nonchalantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all about, you know, death and killing your own young. Yeah, it's the perversion um, of this like parental instinct. And you're just like, oh, God, why are we joking about this? OK, but like I'm here. I'm on board. And yeah, it, it just makes you even more uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Like and it's yeah, it works hand in yeah. hand. I've, I don't know that I would ever like. There's certain things about the way this is written and directed that make me go, is this guy a genius? And, like, Crank is ha- Crank has some of this, too. Like, Crank is very mm-hmm. funny, and it's very stupid. Yeah. And it works because of that. Mm-hmm. I don't love Crank. It's fine. It was one of those things that, like, every cool, every guy who watched movies in high school was super into it. Right. Right. Because it came out, like, 06 or something like that. Yeah. And I, I, it was, like, the big thing when I was in high school was, like, to watch Jason Statham movies, because that's the only thing that came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... I never really got it. Like, I saw it. It was fun. It was cool. But I never got the appeal of it. Mm-hmm. This, I definitely do. Yeah. And I think and I don't that... Know if I would go back to him. Like, I don't know if I would see, like, oh, Brian Taylor's directing something. I definitely have to see that. But I would be, like, if I saw it... Like, I wouldn't be paying attention to him in the, new, like, movie news. But if I saw his name on a project, I'd be, like, I mean, maybe... Yeah. I, I he did really well with at least two things. <laughs> and I definitely think that I think that if you remove any aspect from this movie it doesn't work. Yeah. It's a I mean this is a house of cards. Yeah. I yeah. I, I think if you removed the comedy, like you said, it would just be a bad horror film. Yeah. And I think if you removed the horror film it would just be like, Okay. You know, yeah. like Yeah. I, like you take out the gore or you like have it be I don't like you can't do that. This there's no way that this couldn't be a horror. Then it'd be movie, like a family. Great. It'd be like a weird family drama, and you'd yeah. just be like, okay. Ari Aster would have directed it. Like, <laughs> you'd just be like, why do I care about this? But the fact that it has everything um, so beautifully put together, it's such a fun ride. I really, yeah, I, I had an absolute blast with this. Um, I know we don't have a ton to say about it themes wise, but it was fun to like watch a good. It is very succinct just, and just yeah gives you everything you you know. It's your daily vitamins and minerals, baby. Yeah, you know. <laughs> With a little bit of fun thrown on top. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts? Not really. I want to get back to my cross-stitching. Okay. I'm learning how to cross-stitch. That's a true horror story. I am awful at it. 
Thanks, you'll, Mom. You'll get better. No. <laughs> All right, babes. Uh, you know where to find us on Instagram. We are Horror Babes Podcast. Um, on Twitter, we're Horror Babes Pod. And then, of course, our website, horrorbabespodcast.com. I'm Nicole Lee Hood. I'm Topher Pridgen. Until next time. Bye, Bye babes. babes.